Welcome to this week's Freightonomics. I'm Zach Strickland, head of freight market intelligence, and with me this week, Tony Mulvey. What's up, Zach? Hey, Tony. Mm, long time no see. I know, long time no see. Uh, welcome to January, the doldrums of winter. Although I don't know that we can call it purely the doldrums because there's a lot of activity like in the world. I mean, I yeah. this morning, State of Freight, Craig and I discussed a lot of, there's a lot of potential energy mm-hmm to put it into physics terms out there in the economy and the world, domestic freight market. Um, Largely, I think the sentiment and my takeaway is there's there's a good chance that this freight market that we're in has some point of inflection in terms this year. Yeah. Especially in the second half. Yeah. I think when you start looking at every, the way everything's kind of moving, right? I mean, from a it's kind of interesting, right? Because we talk about all the geopolitical risk and like the funny part about that is like it doesn't necessarily affect the actual movement of goods to the U.S. from a trade perspective, but it has impacts on not the direct movement, but things like prices. And I guess in turns it does because if you take capacity away, from on the ocean, right? Like yeah. that means less ships coming to the U.S. Which yeah, it's, means you, it's competitive. It becomes the market becomes more competitive at this moment on right. the ocean, right? Yeah, and and I think one of the another one of the themes was well, if people aren't don't feel safe shipping, what are they going to do? Yeah, they're going to try to move things nearshoring. You know, all the yeah. the common themes that we've heard since the pandemic era. Um, you know, and and a lot of that means makes for a little bit more bullish outlook economically because we have a lot of restructuring going on. I don't love deglobalization. I I don't think long-term that's a great path. However, I do think near-term over the next couple of years, that could be economically beneficial. Yeah, I think the interesting thing, you mentioned it, like starting the pandemic, we're in 2024, right? I mean, these were nearshoring, reshoring, I mean, themes that started popping up in 2020, it takes a little while for those impacts to really start to show up. Well, now we're, what, almost four years. This year will be four years in, basically, to this kind of general theme. Yeah. It seems like we should start to see the impacts really showing up at some point this year, which yeah, kind of leads to maybe a more bullish outlook in the back half of the year than the beginning. But right. it overall, it seems like it's setting up for the possibility for a stronger freight market environment come the back half of the year. Yeah, and and what it means for supply chain management, who yeah. who essentially have become, and Craig pointed this out on our on our webinar this morning, is they become risk managers. Mm-hmm. They're, they're more insurance than they are anything at this point. Yeah. You're you're trying to just figure out a way that you can hedge your exposure to these wild swings in the market and the economy, uh, to the service you know, to goods, your goods demand, yeah. you know, and, and things like that. And I think that's, I, I don't see an end to that no. in the near term. I think what we've gotten used to is this very stable, global growth yeah. environment. And that's, that just hasn't resurfaced. Yeah. And I mean, it sure doesn't feel like it's going to resurface anytime soon, right? Yeah. It's, it's one of those things, things were easy and now it's, they're still challenging, right? It, it's just a different challenge than what you faced the last few years. And from a supply chain perspective, it, I think this risk management, because it, you get brought to light when things don't work the way they're supposed to, right? right? So you're having to balance this risk reward. Like, 
ultimately what is the the reward you've probably reaped the reward yeah. if you're in from a shipper perspective the past what 18 months uh, of this like slowing this freight recession mm-hmm. once that starts to turn like all your risk is to for you it's to the downside right because ultimately you're going to have feel pressure mm-hmm. so you try to de-risk that now and hopefully the benefit is you're not overly exposed to market conditions when they do change. Exactly. And they're going to change. Yeah. You just don't know when and you don't know how much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that being said, I think a quick look at the market conditions themselves yeah. as we see them. Uh, the market in two, if you want to count me in, Tony, we'll do All it. Right. We'll start in three, two, one. All right, starting off with the fan favorite OTVI outbound tender volume index. You can see clearly that white line. We got to start all the way over. New year, uh, new OTVI. So we start all the way over the white line there, meeting up almost right in alignment with the previous year in the current day. However, start started off the year much stronger. Yeah. Uh, we had this big spike of volume demand kind of coming out of the new year. Um, much more than expected. And that's been the case of the OTVI since probably July of last year is this outperforming demand uh, side environment. Again, it's MLK week, a little bit of a timing uh, trade-off here, but demand still looks relatively good, Mm -hmm. even though it is not truly manifested in some sort of like capacity disruptive event. However, we have had some weather this week. If we go to the next chart, Uh, The outbound tender rejection index, again, starting all the way back over at the very front of this chart. The white line there, we came out of the holiday. Tender rejection rates were falling. They were underperforming previous year. Uh, Not terribly shocking, but a little bit shocking. (laughs) Uh, And however, the tender rejection rates pushing back up towards 5% uh, or just above 5%. This is very unusual. Now, again, weather being a big influence here across the country, talk about that in just a second, but this is this is still a significant impact, even with knowing that weather is probably creating most of this. Let's go to the next chart. Uh, NTIL, uh, this is the spot rates. We haven't seen it manifest yet, but keep in mind, tender rejections do lead the spot market, and we are, we're starting to see spot rates start to kind of bounce up uh, a little bit. Nothing significant, not going to destroy the market, and not a true market turn, yep. turn or any, by any means, but do expect those to move up. We go to the last image here, which is a map of our weighted rejection index. This is a map of the most significantly moving tender rejection rates in the country. It is widespread. You can see all the way from Phoenix to the Pacific Northwest into Florida, tender rejection rates are moving higher. That's what that blue means. Yeah. (laughs) I look at the, I look at that map and I think the map is kind of telling from a weather perspective, right? Where we talked about rejection rates. Mm -hmm. Look at where, I mean, it's widespread. Yes. Mm -hmm. But Pacific Northwest, where they were hit early last week. Yep. They're Kansas, still getting hit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Ice, a, the ice a, event out there is, is still significant. Yeah. Then Kansas City. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you watch the Chiefs-Dolphins <laughs> yeah. game on, right. what was that, Saturday night? Like, you saw how cold and the impacts there. Dallas, right? Ice and... Polar vortex like, is... This is not a polar vortex, or at least in the terms of marketing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it is... It is the coldest air that typically occurs in this part of the country. I think what's interesting, and if you go back to 2022, right? When it, I guess it was 2022, 2021. Yeah. yeah, February. Where we saw this kind of similar, the impacts that it had, 
it helped prolong this up cycle because the market was trending down until this cold weather hit yeah. and it tightened it right back oh, up. It incited and, panic. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. and, and obviously we're in very different conditions right now where the market is relative to where it was then, but you still kind of see the same underlying trends, right? Yeah. You see this upward movement in rejection rates. You, you kind of alluded to it. You see this slight, slight movement in spot rates. It's yeah. not a big one. Not yet. But there's, there's it, probably it's a lagging effect, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and then you factor in, it happened during a holiday week where... Demand is down. Yeah, so I mean, you it probably about, outsizes yeah. this downward movement in demand. We typically lose about 2 to 3% of demand MLK week. Yeah. Uh, not as huge of an impact of the holiday, but it's, it's a hit or miss holiday yeah. in terms of how impactful it is. Well, and then you fa- add this weather event, yeah. right? It, it kind of creates this outsized impact. Mm-hmm. And so, but you look at the beginning of the year, it was relatively strong. It was trending down, but that's kind of normal, right? Yeah. I think the important part is we were higher than where we were last year. Yeah. I think that's the takeaway sure. overall. Yeah, and I think a lot of that demand being down at this point last year was that inventory cycle correction yeah. process still, still being in, in play. It. We have largely corrected out of that. Yeah. I mean, we looked at the LMI in December. It was still like inventory levels were at a 44. Yeah. Again, second month in a row, meaning that we're still seeing inventories contract. Mm-hmm. So shippers are not ordering enough freight before they offload it, yeah. is what that means. So that means one of two things. They're selling more than they expected, or they're still drawing down on inventories, mm-hmm. which means that's going to set them up for potentially having to order more freight and more consistently. Yeah, and I was looking at uh, ISM's Purchase Managers Index mm-hmm. today, kind of yeah. looking up the, that upstream, and you look at kind of what was going on, like new orders are declining, and like the backlogs are are shrinking for this kind of the manufacturing side, right? That new orders, I think that's a, cons- that to me maybe is a concern moving forward and maybe not an issue yet just because backlogs were so large uh, and they are still contracting, right? They're working through those. Uh, but that's not something to maybe necessarily worry about just yet because it's one month of this like slowdown and... If we can pull up the map one more time, I, I yeah. think explaining what the WRI is and how to interpret it mm-hmm. is, is, is useful here because we talked about tender rejection rates in aggregate. Yeah. Like high level figures are what most econ- economists and people are used to looking at because it's easier to understand at that level. And there's honestly, that's, that's what drives the trend. However, the WRI is a combination of weekly change in tender rejection rate with outbound tender market share. Yeah. So, how big of a market in terms of overall volume you are influences how much representation you get on this map when a tender rejection rate changes. So higher volume markets, it doesn't take a lot. We're not trying to overvalue Bismarck, North Dakota and have them on the same level as Atlanta. So when rejection rates go up 10% in Bismarck, that's not as big of a deal as a 2% increase in Atlanta. Yeah. So anything in darker blue is statistically significant weekly change in a in tender rejection rate here. And these are the markets that have the most chances for disruption, spot market increases, et cetera. And see how widespread those darker blues are? Like what has happened is, you know, even though the weather hasn't hit everywhere, like it didn't snow in Savannah. Yeah. <laughs> but freight networks have become 
disconnected mm-hmm. because you miss a pickup in Dallas or in Kansas City or in Chicago, and that takes another day or two because they can't yep. get there. That sets you back from that picking up the next the next uh, pickup. Yeah, it's the knock on effects, right? Yeah. That of network dynamics and. I mean, you look at this, this is one of my favorite maps. Mm-hmm. I think one, because it just highlights where important changes are happening, right? Change, mm-hmm. Like from a capacity perspective, something's always going to be mm-hmm. changing. Rejection rates never stay stable week to week anywhere, not even on a national level, right? Like they're always changing to some degree and being able to identify those significant changes mm-hmm. sets people up to like understand, okay, I need to... to I think of it from a shipper's perspective, these are the issue, the areas where I'm going to have issues this week or how can we mitigate that risk, right? Right. Versus you look at Ontario there in the red, right? An area where rejection rates are declining, which... The only, like one of the only areas, like I think there's other reds or light shades of pink on the map, but most of the country is in blue, which Mm -hmm. is something we don't typically see. Normally, this map is largely white. White. (laughs) Uh, And that's the design, is it's supposed to only tell you when it's really a significant. Now, during the pandemic, this map was blue like all the time (laughs) Uh, because the volatility was so high. But uh, lately, the last year, it's been pretty much just white Mm -hmm. the whole time. And Ontario being in a, you know, reddish hue, this is actually like, you know, the epicenter of kind of the that replenishment freight in yep. the United States. And it's also one of the most influenced markets by any kind of globalized uh, supply chain disruption. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, you look at it, right? It's this tail, the U.S. geography sets up that mm-hmm. you have two coasts that you can ultimately yep. ship to, right? And you look at this and you look at the East Coast and I mean, that's where... 70% of the population or yeah. something lives east of the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So, but in the current environment, right? Suez Canal, you're not mm-hmm. going through it, right? Mm-hmm. With the Red Sea. Panama Canal, you've got drought conditions, so low water levels. So makes it difficult to reverse that. Yeah. It sets up Los Angeles, Port of LA, Port of Long Beach mm-hmm. to be kind of the winners when you have to get Ultimately, you're having to still move freight and it has to come into the country and it sets it up. And right now it makes sense from a, the interesting part, I think from a carrier perspective, you look at this, you're like, why, if I, I'm just going to travel West, right? Right. Like you, you alluded to it on state of freight that there's just this desert basically between (laughs) Dallas and Ontario. It's a 2000 mile desert of freight. (laughs) But I mean, Phoenix is starting to come up. If you see Phoenix is in blue down there next to Ontario, which that's like the new inland empire. Mm -hmm. A lot of companies starting to originate freight there. (laughs) And I think some of that has to go with regulations in California, right? Because at some point, California has got to overregulate itself. And it's just, it doesn't make sense from a business perspective. But it's going to be, you're not going to be able to break away from it entirely because the port of LA and Long Beach are so important to the overall freight flows. It is a natural gateway. Yeah. Like there's so much infrastructure there now, it's not going away overnight. Yeah. Um, so a lot of these companies are building for the future, trying to get away from that. But again, you still have to come through California. Yeah. Like all that freight, I mean, especially, I mean, you can talk about Mexico here, but largely a lot of the freight that comes out of Mexico comes in on the Laredo side of the mountain range mm-hmm. there. 
not on the El Paso side, which yeah. is largely produce and, 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 you know, things like that that come through Nogales. Uh, but, you know, Phoenix is a staging area mm-hmm. <laughs> largely for some of these, uh, you know, long haul distribution networks, yeah. companies that are shift, sh- uh, moving a lot of freight from the, from Asia, staging it in Phoenix, Los Angeles area before they ship it, uh, where it's needed on the East coast. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I don't think that's changing anytime soon. I think it's going to become more impact, more important moving forward, especially right now. Right. Uh, uh, one of the the articles that to talk about, right? Yeah. The, the the more or as the Red Sea conflict actually gets worse, like more ships are detouring, which means you're gonna end up pulling capacity probably from the East Coast and just yep. force things to go through the West Coast. And as you do that, what I mean, what happens? It be, you're L.A., Phoenix. They become more important overall than what had become extremely important, right? Savannah and Elizabeth, New Jersey. You kind of see the shift back. It was, we talked about it throughout the pandemic. You saw this shift because the issues in, in LA, Long Beach and, and ultimately the cost, right? We were always wondered, would the shift happen? And it, what it has been now it seems like this is a catalyst to accelerate it back to the West Coast. Yeah, yeah. And the article you're referencing here is Red Sea conflict worsens, forcing more ship detours around Africa. Yeah. Well, it's it's largely not a North American event in yeah. terms of shipping disruption, but it is a, it does have an influence. Yeah. You know, we talked about on a state of freight, how the rates, the spot rates from China to North America's West Coast, mm-hmm. nothing to do with the Red Sea. No. Rates are spiking <laughs> yeah. and they're actually sustaining. So we thought this would be a, somewhat of a temporary influence, but it's not going away. And that's because you have ships taking longer routes globally. These ships yeah. serve multiple areas of the world. Yeah. Um, and so this also means that shippers see this and they're thinking, hey, I don't want to ship through the Suez Canal. Yeah. You know, maybe that's that's something that could disrupt my freight. The Panama Canal drought. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's still a thing. The drafts are still limited there. So this is just one more thing that's going to push freight into the West Coast. Yep. Uh, and this is this is more of a long-term thing. Like, yeah. I, you know, we talked about Ontario being in the red. Well, Southern California freight dies in January. Yeah. Typically. It doesn't all, like the pandemic totally disproved that. But it it did again. <laughs> uh, and it has since about mid-December. And that's because all that replenishment freight. It's is, unneeded, right? Unneeded. It's already It's already where it needed to be for following the holidays, yeah. right? And when you think about spending patterns, and if you think 70% of consumer spending, or the U.S. economy's what, mm-hmm. 70% consumer, or consumer goods or services, right? Like, what the consumer does is what drives a lot of freight demand. Mm-hmm. And January and February really are slow periods for spending. So to see... Ontario, in this case, declining, not really a surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, I mean, carriers ultimately are going out there for something, right? Mm-hmm. Like, rejection rates are declining. They're accepting the freight that's out there. Yeah, I think some of it has to do with wanting to avoid the weather in other areas, too, right? I, yeah. Uh, like, it's... Absolutely. Nah, and I, I get this, stuck. <laughs> like, well, yeah, I was watching... It's funny, I saw a TikTok, and this was about a guy who was repositioning a plane from Miami to uh, 
somewhere in China. But he was like, we could go through Anchorage, Alaska, which is a little bit shorter, or we could go to Honolulu. He goes, we went to Honolulu because there's no risk of weather, right? There's a risk associated with going into areas impacted by weather. Freight movements here and trucking, trucking largely, faces similar dilemmas. When there's weather, there's risk involved to a network because, I mean, do you look just here in Chattanooga, how many accidents have been reported based on trucks on the interstate that, right? guess what? Those add delays. And if you can avoid that. Well, 24 was shut down. Shut down, yeah. yeah. 24 was shut down for a, almost the entire day the other day. Exactly. Uh, 40, a huge artery. Yeah. Um also had its own set of problems. Uh, Nashville got snow, and they're not yeah. we're not they're used, not used to, to it down it. here. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they don't have the infrastructure set up. I know a lot of uh, the northern tier says, "Oh, you can't handle an inch of snow." Well, it's because we don't get it. <laughs> yeah, when you yeah. get snow events like this once every two years, you don't build anything to account for. It. You just yeah. shut down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's easier, right? Yeah. And you know that in a couple of days it'll be gone. It, right, it's a a couple day disruption, not a a month or a it's week. It's more right. cost effective to shut down versus preparing for, yeah. you know, you obviously want to create safety, uh, but some of that safety is just not, it's, it's cost prohibitive. Yeah. Like, there's only so much you can do. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It was easier to shut down the 92 counties, the schools in 92 yeah. counties in the state than it was to, to risk anything, right? right. Exactly. So it's, uh, so I want to, I want to kind of wrap the show up here in the last few minutes with a couple of the articles. Now, one of them was, uh, truckload line haul rate stabilizing cast report shows now stabilizing meaning that they're just not falling yeah, <laughs> like, which yeah. is, it's almost like it's a relative expected yeah. right because you've seen rate reductions for the last few years you've yeah. seen it's like shippers are in this they would go, have gotten yeah. rate reductions across the board they don't need to go and cut their budget right because they've already got it like yeah. that it's already built in. And if they go and get too aggressive, they run the risk of what happened during COVID where their budget blows up yeah. and ultimately they'll be out of a job because they're going to be, their higher up is going to come for that transportation manager and be like, what happened? Right. Why is this? <laughs> yeah, no. And, and you can't take it all at once. And yep. I think largely the sentiment out there from a lot of shippers is we're not really targeting aggressive cost cutting this time. No, we, we that, just... That, that time for that kind of has passed. In not every case, but most cases, the sentiment has shifted to... Yeah. We just wrapped up a survey and yeah. a lot and majority of, from a shipper perspective, they were either looking for low single digit reductions, mm-hmm. talking one to 4% or flat. Yeah. So And like, just that was the vast majority of of the respondents. So yeah. And that's I think that's a safe budgetary, that's a yeah. sound budgetary fiscal policy from a transportation management, yeah. knowing that you've had 18 months of a down cycle. Mm-hmm. The risk of you encountering an upturn or destabilizing yeah. destabilizing event are much higher this year versus last year. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um yeah. So expenditures up a little bit month over month, shipments up slightly uh in December, but Again, the takeaway here is that the market is is finding some semblance of stability. Yep. Now, the last thing I want to talk about here uh, today is late December swoon has analysts cutting Q4 estimates again. So, I mean, it's it's a uh, this is a financial sector, financial market yeah. takeaway. This isn't like a fundamental 
issue yeah. in the market because it somewhat contradicts what we just talked about. Yeah. Uh, and it's because earnings expectations or analyst expectations from the financial sector were not met. Yeah. And so their forecast was wrong for this month. They're going to change their future forecast is really what this means. Yeah. I mean, think of it like a weather forecast, right? Everybody, the closer you are, the more real-time data you get, the more accurate that forecast mm-hmm. becomes. Yeah. They're cutting these forecasts looking out a year or 12 months from now. Because like, the current one was wrong. Yeah. And and it's okay. Guess what? The one next month or two months is likely to be wrong. It's just a matter of how wrong was it? Yeah. And <laughs> which way did we miss it? High or low? And they and they did say they missed it pretty significantly. Yeah. And I, anybody that looks at, like, I, I think, yes, I would have, I was expecting a little bit tighter fourth quarter. It didn't materialize, but I wasn't that far off. It was just more flat versus last year than it was tighter. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not a huge miss, in my opinion. No, and you would have expected a little more, maybe a little more responsive to the holidays than it didn't happen. Yeah. But you're also in a, a position right now where you got to keep moving to make money yeah. and it's the only way to do it. So it's coming. I think we've all kind of recognized. I think everybody's recognizing that uh, in 2024. Uh, it's probably going to happen this year at some point. Mm-hmm. It, you know, obviously Black Swan events are yeah. still a thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, 2024, you know, doesn't mean that things are easily predictable again, but it certainly means that, you know, you've got to be on the lookout. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs>